Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning we're going to continue on our series, which is part two of our overall series, which is pursuit. Being in pursuit of God by being in pursuit of His people, His promise, and His power. And right now we are talking about what it means to be in pursuit of the promise of God. Being in pursuit of His Word and the things that He has spoken from the beginning of time, throughout time, till now, and for eternity. And last week we started in John chapter 1, which says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And we talked about this amazing truth that all things were created through Him. That through Jesus, who was present from the very beginning, that the world came into creation, that, that mankind came and had its being and its identity, that it was through the Word. And that is the Word that we are in pursuit of. We are in pursuit of the promise of God that He has spoken and that is continually being spoken through His Spirit today. Amen? And so we started in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1, in the beginning, and we looked at creation. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's really incredible to think back to God speaking the universe into motion and recognizing that Jesus was present. To look back at God speaking man into existence, creating him out of the dust, and speaking the declaration over him, and him saying, to the Godhead. Let us create man in our own image, in our own likeness. That Jesus was present when man was being created. That from the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, from the very beginning to the very end, which there will be no end for eternity, that Jesus has been present, that the Word has been present, and that through Him and Him alone, everything has life and has being and has its meaning, that it's all through the person of Jesus. It is an incredible, incredible truth. And when we're talking about being in pursuit of the promise And being in pursuit of the Word, we have to understand this fundamental truth that Jesus is the central truth to all of it. That this is what God did. That He made it this way that we would be able to see the Son, the Word, come to earth in human flesh. This is what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, right? This is what we're talking about. This is what I'm so excited over the next few weeks to dive into. The fact that Jesus was present from the time of creation to the time of his birth and forevermore. Our pursuit of him is the pursuit of the promise. And we started in in Genesis, like I said, and we talked about the beginning of everything. We talked about the beginning of time, the beginning of man. And we talked about the story of creation. And and I just want to be clear here for, for just a second on something very simple, but something I think is very important. When we talk about the story of creation found in the book of Genesis, we're not talking about a story in that it's a fictional narrative. That when God said, let there be and there was, That when God created man out of the dust of the earth, that was actually the creation that was taking place. 
It wasn't that there was some cosmic activity going on in the galaxies where rocks were smashing into each other and somehow, and I don't know where the rocks were supposed to have come from, created cellular life that developed and evolved into life and monkeys and people. Now, I know I shouldn't have to say this in church, but it is 2022. Therefore, I think sometimes it's important when we start from the very beginning, let's start from the beginning. That when the Bible says this is what God did, this is what God did. So in the beginning, God created. And then once again, we see in John chapter 1, it was through the Word who was Jesus that all creation came to have its life and its being. You see, things were going really well. God created man. He gave them the purpose. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Go into the world subdue it and have dominion over it and everything was going perfectly right up until the moment where man and woman adam and eve decided that they were going to do it on their own terms right up until the moment where they listened to the serpent and the serpent said did god really say and they listened and they ate the fruit and they chose their own way and then right after that we see that man went from being in pursuit of god to becoming in pursuit of himself. That the narrative changed. It was no longer about being in pursuit of God and fulfilling his purpose, but it became about what can I do to serve me? And so we move into Genesis chapter 4, and unfortunately we see the first act of murder take place, where Cain kills his brother Abel. Because he was jealous, because Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and and Cain's was not. And so he takes his revenge by killing Abel. And things don't get any better from there because we get to chapter 6 a couple generations later and we see the further deterioration of mankind. Chapter 6, verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Imagine for a moment how bad things have to be for God himself to regret something that he had done. Imagine how bad in the condition of man that had to be that only a few generations after God had created them in his image and spoke the words to to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it, to be fruitful and multiply, that he was saying, I regret ever doing this in the first place. It's also notable to me that in verse 13, God says to Noah, and we're going to be talking about Noah here today, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Think about this for a moment. God creates man. We talked about this on Wednesday night. He has a conversation the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's make man in our own image. Let's have them subdue the earth. 
to fill it, to multiply. He speaks this out. And then once man is created, he then speaks these words to Adam and Eve. The word that was in the heart of God now is made manifest as he speaks it over the two of them. And they are called to have dominion over the earth. But now, the very thing that God had called them to do, which was to overcome, to have dominion, to be the ones who would rule and reign essentially on the earth, are now being subdued by the earth. You see, what I see in this is there are often things in our life that we are called to subdue. There are places of obedience in our life that we are called to walk in that if we do not, if we don't walk in the obedience to do what we've been called to do, those can often be the things that will overcome us. I don't know about you, but there have been things in my life that I have felt that God has spoken into Maybe it's something as simple, and I always go back to this because I feel like it's relatable, and it's certainly relatable to me, but the place of anger. The place that I've gone to for protection in my life many times that I learned as a kid. This is where you go. When things don't go right, anger is always going to be there for you. But I've also seen that in the places that I have not fully dealt with that thing, that it has had the ability to derail certain things in my life. And even more than that, the things that I I should have dealt with more thoroughly, I now see passed on to my kids. I don't think many of us want to hear that. It's a little bit scary, and it's not something fun to think about. But the things that I didn't deal with now, I see present in my children, and I like to blame my wife for a lot of it. Just kidding. But the truth is, The things that I have been called to come into obedience to that I don't deal with are battles that are going to have to be fought down the road. So we see that earth has gone into this place of wickedness, that mankind has has deteriorated to such a point where God says, I'm going to wipe everything out and start from scratch. But then we see this really amazing verse found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's an amazing statement. And it makes me think that at least personally, I have not given Noah enough credit in his biblical standing in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I I have this like biblical hierarchy. Like it's not written down anywhere. But I look at the Bible and I'm like, okay, first of all, you have Jesus, obviously. And then maybe you have Abraham. And then maybe on the next level down, you have like David and the Apostle Paul. No one else, just me? I'm like, and David, he has to have a really good PR manager because, you know, he killed a man after committing adultery and yet he's still up here on this list. And then we have a few other, we have... You know, Elijah and Elisha and Daniel and Gideon and Samuel and the heroes of the faith. And then we have a few more and and we get down the list. And then finally we have Noah. And maybe like Bartholomew. I don't know if it's because it's like we think about it as a kid's story. 
Like Noah and the ark, we just think about this nice fairy tale story about how God creates the ark and the animals go on there and we don't think about the bodies floating in the water. But for the whole earth to be in such a place of deterioration and sin that God says, I'm going to wipe everybody out, but then to look and find this one man and to find favor and to say, this is a man that has, that has actually followed after me. That's a pretty incredible statement. Based off of that statement alone, I think, I'll speak for myself personally, I got to give Noah a little, bit of, a little bit more credit. So Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Once again, this is very high praise. We see that he was righteous, blameless, and faithful. And of course you would imagine being righteous, blameless, and faithful means that you're going to have an easy life, right? He's the only one on earth that's following after God. And what is his reward? You get to make a fool out of yourself in front of the whole world. You get to build a 500-foot ship in the middle of a place where there is no rain. There has never been rain. There is no water. It's going to take you like decades to do. At least 20 years, maybe as much as 40 years. This is your reward, Noah, for being righteous. You get to make a fool out of yourself in front of everybody. And before we think to ourselves, you know, hey, I, I've, God's asked me to do some hard things. I don't think he's ever asked you to do this. Most of the things that we're fighting with and battling with are a lot easier than going out into our front yard and starting to build something crazy like that. But God called Noah to do this, and it's really amazing the response that we see here. But first he says to him in Genesis chapter 6, going down to verses 17 and 18, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. This is a significant statement and one that I want us to take note of as we are continuing this series on the pursuit of his promise. This word here when he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, is really amazing for more reasons than one. Number one, remember, we're talking about the earth that is filled with evil. God owes nothing to mankind. He doesn't owe them anything at this point, or ever. But he says to man, he says, I am going to make a covenant with you. I am going to protect you. I am going to preserve you. It makes me think about Psalms chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet we see in this story, amidst all of the sin and all of the deterioration of mankind, we see this, this part of God, the expression of his heart, becoming evident again. Not owing anything to mankind, he says to him, I'm going to make a covenant to you. And we see in this that God is once again pursuing man. That God is once again pursuing his creation that has turned its back on him. And the response that we hear from Noah 
is equally amazing because it says in verse 22 that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That God spoke. He showed grace and mercy and Noah responded by saying, yes, God, I'm going to pursue you fully. Noah did everything just as God commanded to him once again, even when it didn't make sense, even when there was no logical earthly reason, no clouds in the sky, no forecast of rain, no impending doom coming up over the horizon, and yet Noah continued day after day, year after year, decade after decade, obeying what God had called him to do. It's an incredible testament to faith. And this is not lost on the writers of Hebrews or the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, which is the heroes of faith. It says in chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, the righteousness that comes by faith. It's incredible in and of itself to be mentioned in the chapter of Hebrews 11. And it says why. It's because even when there were things that were unseen, it sounds a lot like Abraham, right? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But it says in in reverent fear, he condemned the world. See, this decision to obey, this decision to walk in obedience to what God had called him to do was much more than saying yes and a simple yes to God. But it was that he so fully believed what God had said that he was choosing to turn away fully from the influences of the world from what everybody else must have been saying, from his family members, from his relatives maybe, from his neighbors, from the people around him, he so turned away from what they had said and their truth that he actually condemned their truth in his life. How many things in our life are we called to step away from and to say, you know what? I know the world is saying this. I know this is the truth that the media might be telling me or even friends and family might be telling me or or just my inner emotions that that have this, this tendency to pull me away from God. I know what they are saying, but I am going to choose in this time to trust in God above anything else. You see, Noah does this, and then it says that because of this, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Once again, pursuit of God is going to cost us something. But the results of our obedience are that we are going to walk in faith and actually step into a place of righteousness because of what Jesus has done. It really is a, a pretty phenomenal story that I think so often we just, we read through and we read over because like I said, it's a kid's story. But it's really so much more than that. In chapter 7, we see that the flood comes and it brings complete devastation with humanity being wiped out completely. The results of sin on full display. 
It says in verses 21 through 24, every living creature that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, animals, all the the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. This really is a tragic chapter in the story of man. That the very creation that God spoke into being, the very creation that God breathed life into it, it constantly says in this chapter, all the creation that had the breath of life in it was wiped out. A tragic consequence of sin. But as so many times we see in the Word of God, this tragic chapter was not the end of the story. Because even in this tragic story, we start to see a picture once again of Jesus being present, even in the story of Noah's Ark even in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, that God remembered Noah. I love this statement. But God remembered Noah. As if God ever has to remember anything, as if he had forgotten about Noah. You know, the guy on the boat floating on top of the water, on top of the earth, like he needed to be remembered. But it says that God remembered Noah. And for me, that is so significant for us here today, because sometimes we think that the situations that we are going through are ones that God has left us alone in. That he doesn't see what we are going through. That he doesn't know or recognize the pain that we feel. That he has left us to be by ourselves, to figure it out, to try to do better. And maybe if we do enough, he's going to come through for us. The places of pain, the places of turmoil, the places where we don't have the answers, the places of anxiety and fear where we feel like we've been left alone, that God knows where we are, that he remembers us, and that he is faithful to do what he has said that he would do. You see, this is in no way to diminish the situations that we find ourselves in. It's not just to offer a little piece of hope and to say, keep going, it's going to be okay, because it is. But it's for us to recognize the fact that God knows who we are, where we are, and He is bringing salvation. He's bringing salvation. That this is the story of the Word from Genesis to the Gospels to Revelation that Jesus, our King, is bringing the rescue that we need. This is what we have to stand on. This is the promise. This is what we have to keep in front of us in the midst of the difficult times. In the midst of the situations that we don't understand. Where is Jesus in the middle of the situation? Because He is there. He is present In the midst of destruction, he gives Noah the ability to go into a place of salvation. In the midst of the storm, 
I so fully believe this today. We keep hearing these words. They're prophetic words that are given to us on a regular basis that we stand on, that we believe, that we pray into. And there is a bigger promise even that is for this area, for this community. It is that revival is coming. And if I can tell you how many times I have heard that revival is coming out of Poughkeepsie, that revival is coming out of where we are, that God is planning to do something in the midst of darkness, in the midst of, of the places where we see like it, it seems like nothing is changing, that God is promising us as his church, as his body, as the remnant, that he is going to do something that we could never do on our own. These are the promises that we have to start to stand on in a greater degree than we ever have before to pray and to believe and to know that God is doing something even right now. But I have this feeling sometimes because the longer that we have been Christians, the longer that we have heard words like this, the longer that we have talked about revival, the less it grips us, the less it grabs a hold of us because we haven't seen it when we thought that we were going to see it. But my question today is, what are we in pursuit of? Are we in pursuit of what makes sense, or are we in pursuit of a God that does things that are unseen, that has the power to take what is unseen into the present day? He has the ability to take the things that he has spoken and to bring them to life even when we don't understand them, and even when we don't see rain. That God is able to do what he said that he would do. You see, this is much more than just the story that we find in the book of Genesis. It's much more than, than a hopeful story of salvation, which it is that. It is a promise that is made to us that when we take the time to hear the voice of God, when we take the time to be obedient to what He has called us to do, that we are going to see His Word come to pass. I do feel like on our end, though, that there is a responsibility to steward these things. That we do have a responsibility to step into a place of expectation. That we have a responsibility to say, God, what is it that you're doing right now? Because I want to see through your eyes. I don't want to see through what I think is possible anymore. I want to see the truth that you have spoken. And if it's revival, if it is transformation, if it is your spirit moving in such a way that is not just contained in the four walls of a church, but that it moves through the community, then God, sign me up. I want to be not just a part of it, but I want to be on the front end of it. I want to be walking in faith. I want to be walking in excitement. I want to be walking in a place where the impossible now feels possible because of who you are. I want to be those who would be willing to do the things that seem really crazy in the moments that we know that we're going to be mocked and we're going to be ridiculed and people are not going to understand because we know that there is a voice inside of us that is saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Church, I think we got to be a little bit more excited about these things. 
And I'm, and I'm not just asking for it here. I'm saying in general, on a daily basis, in our time with God, in our time reading the Word, can we start asking for more? Can we start looking for His promise in greater degrees in our lives? Can we stop listening to the voice of the enemy, to the voice of our past, to the voice of the circumstances, and expect that God is going to do what He said He was going to do? See, as God brings the flood, as the devastation occurs, as Noah and his family are spared and saved, as the waters recede, God speaks something back to Noah again. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he speaks these words that we've heard multiple times already. He says, be fruitful and multiply. The promise that God made to man before man even breathed his first breath. The promise that God spoke over Adam and Eve once they had been created. The promise that God had spoken to mankind that had been wiped away in the flood, God reestablishes through Noah and says, be fruitful and multiply. Go into the earth. We are going to do this again. We are going to walk in this covenant agreement. I'm never going to destroy the earth again. And you are going to know that I am God. And from you, the rest of the earth is going to be blessed because from you is going to come Abraham, Abraham is going to come David, is going to come Jesus, is going to come the Savior. The promise is restored in the midst of a situation where everything seems hopeless because God does what he can only do.